Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. So 1 Corinthians 15, 35, down to the end of the chapter. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. Last week we began considering a a subject that's much bigger than two weeks of us studying it, um, and that's the concept of being set apart. Um, sanctification is the, the big theological term for that. Um, it's also the term where we get our word saint from um, as well. But as we begin it, um, we saw that 
the concept of being set apart is actually tied together integrally with um, what we believe about salvation. And so quickly what we saw was that God created man in his own image and likeness, okay? That Genesis chapter 1 says he made male and female, he made them in his image and likeness. But then in Genesis chapter 2, we get a little bit more detail about it, that God made man, he put man in the, the garden, and then God made from the man, he took and made the woman. But then also, in Genesis 3, we read that a serpent came, and a serpent came and began to deceive Eve about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember, God planted all the trees, and he told Adam, you can eat from any tree that you want to eat from, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. A little side subject. I don't know if I mentioned it last week or not. But what tree could have Adam eaten from? The tree of life. Do you get it? The tree of life was there. That's why they got put out of the garden, so they couldn't go back in and eat of the tree of life. They could have eaten from the tree of life. They had a choice between life and death. Satan came and brought the, the deception and told them that the tree of death was actually going to be the tree of life, and they bought the lie. And so they, they bit it. As we talked about, they swallowed the lie, and then she swallowed the fruit. So at that moment when she swallowed the fruit, man became a sinner, and there became a blockade then between them and God. Man will not, we were told in God's word, will not on his own seek God. That all men are sinners, okay? There's none righteous, no, not one. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. Um, our uncleanness is, all our righteousness is like an unclean rag, like a filthy rag before God. And so there's nothing that we can do to inherit um, salvation in and of ourselves, okay? So, but God, we're told, loves us so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. So the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. But again, man on his own cannot still come. So even though Jesus died on the cross, that doesn't mean anything, because man on their own will not come to, come to Christ. But Jesus said, in John 6, he said, that no man can come unless the Father first draws him. And then in John chapter 12, he said, and I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And so the idea then is that God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. Big term, propitiation, the payment for our sins. But not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world, right? So, so God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to die for us, okay? Um, but he also then knew that we by ourselves would never ever seek it. We couldn't seek it because we were dead in our sins. And so he had to then come to us. So Jesus said that it was profitable for us for him to leave because if he would leave, he would also then send the Holy Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whose job was going to be to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He would also then lead us into all truth and remind us of the teachings of, of Christ. So God then sent the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit comes, and I believe, because God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth, that the Holy Spirit is convicting every single individual on the face of the earth. That, that God meant what he said, and so the Holy Spirit is out there, and he's working. Romans chapter 1 says, what may be known of God is placed within us. That's even in creation. And so therefore, the Holy Spirit is even using creation itself to draw people to God. Man then has a choice to make, whether to receive the truth or reject the truth. To those who receive it, God then gives them the new heart. 
God seals them until the day of redemption. So at that moment, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, it is not your work, John chapter 6 tells us, that it actually is the work of God. That, that you're not going to go on your own. God has to make the way, but then you believe. So at that moment, all you did was believe. God made the way of salvation, and then afterwards, God is the one who then keeps you saved from that perspective, okay? But then God, once you receive him, and you're set apart at that moment, because you're different than everybody else, you're now... To, to God, he leaves you in the world. And so we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And we're in the world for a purpose, to be set apart from the world in order to draw the world to him. So we become part of then that process that God is using. The Holy Spirit uses us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay, And so how can they hear unless someone is sent? Does, do you get it? where I'm going with it, Romans chapter 10, okay? So God has a purpose for us being here in that he uses us to declare his word. The Holy Spirit then convicts people and he draws more and more people to himself. One day, your tent is going to stop. We talked about that last week. One day, I'm going to die. I'm not going to die, though. My tent's going to stop. Remember, I talked about that. You can't kill me. At the moment I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, I get eternal life. You can't kill me. You can stop my tent from existing on the earth, but you can't kill me. So at that moment that I die, and we all die, right? And we go to be in the presence of God. And we get to be in his presence and see him as he is. This is exciting stuff. And when we see him as he is, we know that we shall, 1 John chapter 3, we know that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And where we're going to go today, it continues on in 1 John 3, and that those who then have this faith, then begin to work it out. They seek to be pure, even as he is pure. That knowing this, this then has an effect upon us. That transitions us into then this concept of sanctification. There are three, three levels, if you would, three groupings, categories of sanctification being set apart. The first one is positional sanctification. That's what we talked primarily about last week. That when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, God sets you apart, okay? And so it's the word hagios, is the base root, the root word in the Greek is where we get it. It's also kadesh in the Hebrew is the base word, root word, which literally means to be set apart, okay? We translate it as holy. Sometimes we see holy as being morally pure, but the reality is that it's only that because it is something that is set apart. It is not common, it's set apart. And so we, the word saint, in the, in the New Testament is the word hagioi, or set apart ones, okay? And so that's what we're called. And so um, that's there. Let's see, where else I go? Okay, yeah. So, so we looked at this, and it was established in our calling. We read 1 Corinthians 1, 1 and 2. And so we read there again, it says that the church of God to those who are sanctified, and if you remember, there's the, the perfect tense, those who have been sanctified. So when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have been set apart. You have been. It's a done deal. You have been set apart. And then we were called, in Jesus Christ, called to be saints. So God has placed a calling in your life. He set you apart in order for you to be what? Set apart. Do you get it? 
It's a perfect tense. God set you apart in order that you would be set apart. This is a kind of a no-brainer. It's kind of like, oh, but we struggle with this. This is like, I don't know. Well, that's God's calling in your life, okay? So he called you to be set apart so that you can be set apart, okay? Um, so 2 Timothy uh, 1 says that we have a holy calling. Uh, Romans 1 says that we're called to be saints. We're called ones. Romans 8, we'll talk about Romans 8 again in a moment. But we're called ones, and so we're called to be set apart, okay? Um, it's established by our cleansing. We've been purchased with a, a legal propitiation. You can read all those passages again. Um, those passages in Hebrew talk about the law, talk about how the blood, the, blood, uh, the, the bulls and, and goats, they can't ultimately cleanse you forever, but the blood of Jesus does, okay? And so we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, okay, do you not know that your body is, and I highlighted the word is, because this is a, a present tense thing. Your body is what? The temple, the Holy Spirit, who what? Is in you. Do you get it? I mean, this is not, this is, this is a statement. This is a fact, okay? Not, it's not open for discussion. It's a statement, okay? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God, and you're not of your own? You were bought at a price. No, I'm free! Really? Let's talk about that as we go, okay? Because we're not free. We are free. We've been given freedom from Satan, okay? But God did it through buying us. He bought us back. He redeemed us, okay? And he brought us into the kingdom of the son of his love, okay? But now I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. I want you to think that process. We're not going to go into a lot, but I want you to think of the, the, the weight of that statement when you think of the nation of Israel and what God thought about it when he started bringing the idols of the world into his own temple. Say again? When they started, when they started bringing, sorry, what God thought of it when they started bringing false idols, thank you, into his temple. Good, okay? So not only was it uh, purchased by a legal propitiation, it was also proclaimed by a judicial declaration. And again, you could go through all those passages, but just as a summation over it, Romans 8, verse 30 so we know Romans 8, 28, right? We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. 29 says that we were uh, called, we were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. But then verse 30 says that moreover whom he did predestined, these he also called. Those he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. And if you remember, we talked about these are all past tense. These are all things that happened in the past. You were predestined, you were called, you were justified, you were glorified. You just haven't what? Experienced it yet. How cool is that? I already am, in the, in the mind of God, I already am in the presence of God. We struggle with that. I just want to be in the presence of God. You are. You really are. You just have to actualize that here on the earth. One day you're going to die. Or you're not really going to die, but your body's going to stop, right? And you know what's going to happen? Your faith will become sight. Because absent from the body is present with the Lord. So it's also then preserved by a faithful God. So we saw that God is the one who then has reserved it in heaven for us. 
And so, again, the word tereo literally means guarded, okay? And then Jude 1, if you read Jude 1, we are literally called, if you take the Greek that's there and you bring it in, we are the guarded called ones, okay? That, that God literally is guarding your salvation. That's why Jesus said, no man can take you out of my Father's hand. Think about it. What happened to a Roman guard if they lost their, their, their ward, their prisoner? They're beheaded. They're, they're, think about it. If the Romans understood it, if man understands it, how much more so God? So when people talk about whether they can lose salvation or not, it's not a comment about themselves. It's a comment about God. That God cannot do and God cannot guard what he has declared, that he, that he, what he has done. Anyways, so we move on. So this is our positional sanctification. So it's already it's embedded in our calling. It's established by our by our cleansing. But we want to slide into today then this practical side of it, the practical sanctification. What does it look like today? So that's positional. It's, it's a done deal. It's waiting for me. I am, whether you think about it or not, whether you like it or not, I am sanctified. Okay? But you look at my life and you say what? Sure don't look like it. Okay? That's the positional sanctification side. Remember, he has set us apart in order for us to be set apart. So if you're like me, you want to know then, well, what's then the standard? Okay? And as I joked about in um, Sunday school, you know, the United States, Richard Nixon, which mind-boggling to me that he did this, took us off the gold standard. And from that moment, all finances went haywire, okay? Because there's no standard. Worse than that, as a world we've gone off the God standard. God is the standard for all things. Well, when we're talking about that which is holy, that which is set apart, then we know that God is the one who is holy, holy, holy. The mark, if you would, for holiness is God himself. Isaiah 6, Isaiah sees God high and lifted up. He sees the angels with the six wings. With two, they covered their eyes. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they did fly. Well, they covered their eyes because they weren't allowed to what? Behold God. With two, they covered their feet because the feet are that which is considered to be the most unseemly. With two, they did fly so they could proclaim the message of God. But there was this whole idea. But as they, as they declared the holiness of God, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, right? There was a a thundering and, a, and an earthquake kind of the shifting, the, the, the quaking that was going on in there, right? There was all this wonderful stuff. Isaiah looks, and what does Isaiah do? He falls on his face and says what? I'm Woe is me, or I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live amongst the people of unclean lips. I am dog meat. He got it. I'm a worm. I'm seeing that which is the most holy that's here. And I am like nothing. I mean, I am just like pulverized at this moment. The same thing happens in Revelation where John gets to have a glimpse of, of the, the throne room. And so, again, what does he see? He sees four living creatures, each having six wings full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, crying out the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy. Holy Lord God Almighty. They cry out the holiness of God. God is the mark. Peter says, 
then. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, what? So you, what? Be holy in all your conduct, because as it is written, be holy for I am holy. This is Peter. This is New Testament. This isn't Old Testament. So Peter is bringing the concept, an Old Testament concept, and he's bringing it into the New Testament. So an Old Covenant concept bringing it into the New Covenant. And he's saying that the standard hasn't changed. The mark that you press toward is still the same mark. So back in the Old Covenant, when he says it, uh, Leviticus chapter 11, 44 to 45, and I would say, challenge you to read context, right? I don't have time to go through all the context, but you can go to the context and all this. But I, Leviticus 11 says, I am Yahweh your God, you sh shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourself with any creeping things that creep on the earth, for I am Yahweh who brings you up by the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So, so why did God say that they ought to be holy? First and foremost, because he's holy. But now bring it into the, the next that level. Why? Just because he's holy, that's fine. Why should I be holy as he's holy? We represent him, but what does he say in this passage? What did he do? He set us apart, but what did he specifically, what does he say specifically in this passage? He did. He did what? He brought him up out of the land of Egypt. What has he done for you? He's brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Egypt is seen as sin. Okay? It's, it's physically, literally Egypt, right? But as we bring that over, that we've been told that Egypt represents sin. He brought you out and made you his own special people. Do you get it? Therefore, you ought to desire to be holy as he is holy. He continues on, Leviticus 19, verses 2 and 3. Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, Yahweh, your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Shabbats, my Sabbaths. I am Yahweh, your God. You need to live set-apart lives. Now, we can talk about the Sabbath this morning in Sunday school, okay? But note the other thing that's stated right together here with it. What should you do as a part of being holy? What's it say? Say it louder, girl. Revere your mother and father. That's something the world doesn't do. You're going to do it differently because you're set apart. Because I'm set apart. And part of your set apartness is going to be how you treat your mom and dad. Something to think about, isn't it? Leviticus 20, 7 and 8. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am Yahweh your God, and you shall keep my statutes and perform them. Why? I am Yahweh who sanctifies you. Do you know it says in Philippians chapter 1 that he who began the good work in you, what? Will continue to perform it till the day of? Till the day of Christ, yeah. And then he says in Philippians chapter 2 that it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He's the one. This is an old covenant. It's the same concept. God says, look, I'm the one who's sanctifying you. I'm the one who's doing the work. Therefore, you should be holy as I'm holy. The standard's the standard. 
Leviticus 20, verse 26. And you shall be holy to me, for I, Yahweh, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Wow. Now it's here. So once you got saved, what was God really doing? Claiming you. For what purpose, Shireen? To be his. To be different than the world. So that the world would know that Yahweh was and is and ever shall be and that he loved them. We are set apart that the world may know that Yahweh is. How does it happen? Well, we talked about this at the end of last week. You need to offer your body as a living sacrifice. These are just words on a page. And, and you can quote them, maybe. But are you living it? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your body as a what? A living sacrifice. Holy, set apart, and acceptable, pleasing to who? To who? Yeah, say it louder, David. To God. to God. Not to man. If you're seeking to please self or you're seeking to please man, Galatians chapter 1, verse 10 says that you're not seeking to please God. I beseech you. This is Paul, way back in the early days of the church. It hasn't changed. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your body as a living sacrifice. Not a dead one, a living one. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship, your reasonable service. It is your logical, that's the term right here, I have it up here. If you read Greek, you can read that, logicane, logicane. It's, the, it's where you get the word logic from, it's right, right from the Greek. It's logical. This is logical. This is not illogical. This is un, un, unreasonable. This is a very reasonable request from God because of everything he's done for you. He sacrificed everything for you. He's only asking you to sacrifice back. The dramatic pause. Because that's hard. We talked in Sunday school about different times of crisis of faith in your life. Times when you're going to accept Christ as your Savior. Time when you're going to, um, for Bob, it was accepting that God was the creator of God. And that, you know, that I had to renounce evolution and, and, and believe what God said. Another one is offering yourself as a living sacrifice. Because if you're, as an American Christian, too many times when we're led to the Lord, we're not, we're told there's no cost to it. It's what? It's free. It's free. It's free. You don't do anything. And, and we're so worried about lordship, salvation, and all this kind of stuff, and things you've got to do in order to be saved. And you don't have to do anything other than what? Believe. But there's a reality. There is a reality. that We're, we're going to see some more verses here. That when God called you, he called you to be set apart. He, it wasn't just so you go live your life however you want to do. Now you've got fire insurance. That's not what it's all about, Christina. It's not just believe, but believe and obey. Yeah, but salvation, first off the bat, is just believe. Yeah, and so the obey comes next. And so those who are his will desire to what? Obey. And so that's hard for us to comprehend. But we, we proclaim it in many of our churches 
that you don't have to do that. You don't have to obey. All you have to do is say this prayer. Now, straight up, that's why at the end of the time, we really don't have um, altar calls, invitations. I, man, I, I've, I've seen that stuff in the past, okay? And so, you know, coming from the Romanish, the Romanism background, okay, you know, you say our, so many our fathers, so many Hail Marys, and you're good. Do the rosaries. You're, you're good. So in the Baptist realm, what do we do? Say, say our father, or I'm a sinner. You know, solemnly say after me, I state your name. Do solemnly swear that you're a sinner and that you know you cannot save yourself and that Jesus died on the cross for you and so you're thankful now for the salvation. And you get them to say a sinner's prayer and you say what? Now you're saved! I don't know what their heart happened in their heart. Is it real or not real? I don't know, but there's a whole lot of people come down and now, they say a prayer, and that's what they're believing in. Their faith is in a prayer that they spoke, not into God who redeemed them. Now, I'm sounding judgmental, and I don't mean it to be judgmental. It's just great concern that we have a whole lot of people who are walking around who don't know Jesus, but they have a false sense of thinking that they do. God will change, as we saw last week, the individual. Okay? Well, how does that look when I offer my body as a living sacrifice, which is my reasonable act of service? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word conformed talks about changing your outward appearance. The word transformed talks about changing your inward appearance, your inward man. If you honestly are offering your body as a living sacrifice, then you have ceased stopping to look to the world for how you ought to look and how you ought to act and what you ought to do. You're not looking to the world for entertainment anymore. You're not looking to the world for how to dress. You're not looking to the world for all these things. But now you're being transformed and renewing your mind. And we'll talk about that again in a moment, how that happens. In fact, it may be the next slide. Well, no, and just another slide. So, but Romans 6 also says, um, do you not know um, that, that whom you offer yourself as a slave to obey, you are the one slave to whom you obey, whether a sin leading unto death or obedience unto righteousness? And then later here in verse 19, it says then, for just as you presented yourself as members of slaves of uncleanness and now lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness to holiness. You're going to be a slave to something. That's the truth. That's the reality, that before you were a slave to sin, before you were a slave to your flesh, before you were a slave to the world, before you ultimately, you were a slave to who? Satan. Okay? Ephesians chapter 2 tells you that, that you were a child of wrath. Okay? And you just didn't know it. But when you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and he set you apart, guess what happened? You have the opportunity. You now have the opportunity to whom you want to offer yourself as a slave to obey. You have a choice. You can continue to serve flesh, which leads to more unrighteousness. The wages of sin is death, because you know what this is verse 22, right? What's verse 23? The wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life. All this plays into this, who you're going to serve, who you're, who you're a slave of, plays into that final statement, the final summary statement. So if you're serving your flesh, the wages of sin is, is death. It's just how it plays out. 
But if, if you choose, then at that moment, then now you've been given this freedom to cho- choose again, to, to make yourself a slave of God. That's, that's what God's work in you are going to be anyway. That you choose to do that. Now you're seeking to do things which are according to righteousness. You desire to be set apart. You have your fruit to set apartness. Do you get it? That's where your fruit's going to come. You're going to look more and more set apart from the world if you are truly set apart. Again, remember, he has set you apart in order for you to be set apart. So how does it happen? The means. Through what? Through the word. Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I set myself apart in order that they might be set apart. How, oh, Father, will they be set apart? Through your holy word, your set-apart word. Ephesians 5, this is about the husbands, but note that the standard that the husbands are supposed to be loving their wives, right? It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church, and he gave himself for her that he might do what? set her apart, that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be set apart, holy and without blemish. Note the two terms there in the green, that uh, the cleanse that he might sanctify and cleanse with the washing of the water by the word and without blemish. Those, again, are judicial terms going back to the law, okay? That which was unclean, that which was blemished was not allowed to be offered to God as a sacrifice, nor was it allowed to be in his presence. And God has asked you to be a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God. It means without what? Blemish. Now, I get it. I'm struggling. In the world, I'm struggling, okay? I, I battle. Why do I? So I should have continued on. Could have continued with Romans 6, right? Into Romans 7, where Paul then says, What? Why do I do things that I don't want to do and I don't do the things I do want to do? I find that, that there's this war within me, right? But the reality is that he ends that statement in Romans 7, stating that who then shall deliver me from this body of death? I what? Can anybody finish it? Who then shall deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. That's right, through Jesus Christ. That in God, in Christ, you can be delivered from your body of death. Even while you're here on the earth, okay, there's a battle going on, but you have to make the decision. It's the same decision as way back in the garden. It's the same decision that we read in Deuteronomy chapter 30. It's the same decision that God spoke through Jeremiah. Life or death. You choose it. You have the tree of life, that's Jesus, and you got the tree of death, that's Satan, if you would, or self, whichever way you want to look at that. And you choose. You choose which tree you want to eat from, which fruit. And so Galatians chapter 5 is clear that the works of the flesh are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, uh, uh, um, contentions, dissensions, uh, um, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions. Get it, all those things, right? But then the works or the fruit of the Spirit is love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the self-control. Against such there is no law. Do you get it? So you've got to ask yourself, which of those fruit are you eating from and which of the fruit do you look like? 
You are what you. Some of us look like we've been eating. No, we won't go there. Anyway, so you, you get it, right? You are what we eat. We talk about that physically, but it's the same spiritually. Psalm 119. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word, the var. Your word, amar, is hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. The var is, is more of a written word. It's a thought. It's a concept. Okay? It would bring it into ink. The Greek would make it as the word logos. Okay? And so it's, a, it's more like the written, we consider it like a written word, but it's more like the encyclopedia. There are concepts and everything that are there that are written. Amar is a spoken word. And so that's rhema. In the, in the Greek, so in Hebrews chapter 10, or Hebrews, Romans chapter 10, when it says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that's actually rhema, the spoken word of God. That's you walking out, opening up your mouth and speaking, not sh- saying, hey, read this. That's okay too, okay? But it's you then giving them the word through your mouth, okay, through the rhema, Okay? And so, how can a young man cleanse his way? Go here. Your word, your spoken word, I've hidden where? In my heart. Why? So I might not sin against you. I'm not lifting myself up. I don't mean, when we get to James 3, 1, you'll get it, and I'll talk about it a little bit more, but be not many masters, teachers, such have the greater what? condemnation so i get where i'm at okay but if you came here for a reason today i listen to me sometimes and i'm thinking of me i don't know why you come here anyways <laughs> but you came here for a reason hopefully it was to hear what the word of god do you get it now i'm not saying i'm a prophet nor the son of a prophet and i'm not saying yahweh says boom okay but you have to believe in some manner that God is working within this assembly to lead us to teach what we're teaching. Does it make sense? And I hope in some manner you're praying for me through the course of the week that I would speak what God would have me to speak today. And if you're doing that, then there's a certain where that, that Amar is happening at this moment. And I'm not trying to elevate myself. Please, okay? And so you did it in testimony time hall last week. You heard this, the, the pastor say something, and, and it stunk. It's, it was there, right? Does it make sense? And you've got to ask yourself then, what are you going to do with what you just what heard? Well, hopefully, but many people do a cord dump when they walk out the door. You punched your ticket, you came for Sunday, and now God you know, made more points in heaven. Now, hopefully, you've been here long enough. You're not doing that. You get it. You can go someplace else that's a lot shorter, make it just as many points, okay? <laughs> and so... Yeah, yeah, I'm not worried. Yeah, see, that's exactly right. Oh, but if I'm there longer, I get more points, maybe. <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, zero points. Zero points. But this is how it happens, right? So I want to offer my body as a living sacrifice in order that I might attain the standard. Does it make sense? How does it happen? Well, God gave me his word. So I can read it, study it. I mean, he hasn't left me with, in a void. He's not giving me this, this standard. And said, now figure it out. He wrote it in his word. The question is, do we really want to live it? Or do we really want to live what we want to live? Well, I can store motivation. Why do I want to do this? Why should I want to do this? Well, first of all, 
because of who we are. Again, this is sounds redundant, the cyclical. We're going to go back over the same concepts. But repetition is the key to learning, yes? What's the key to learning? Repetition. Huh. So what's repetition? Oh, good, okay. So, so we just kind of go over this stuff because, again, finally three weeks later, it what? <laughs> it clicks, right? Yeah. I appreciate you saying that, John. That was, it's actually, that was very humble. It was very honest and very humble, and I appreciate that. There are so many times, having done this now for 30, 40 years, right, I preached something, and, and there is someone who have been in, and I'm not, not picking on any of you that have been here for quite a while, okay? But, but yeah, I'm picking on John right now. But, but there will be people who have heard something numerous times, and then, 15 years later or whatever, though, it's like brand new truth came across, and I'm thinking, I preached that. I don't know how many times. And I just got to shut up. Just shut up, Bob. It's okay. Because it's God who what? God who illumines the mind, right? He brings us all truth, okay? So because of who we are. Well, who are we? Well, you know the passage. I'm not giving you anything like this is like, woohoo! Like, wow, man, I've never heard of this passage before. But do we live it? If anyone is in Christ, he's a what? Do you look new? Do you, do you look new? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Old things, what? Remember what we talked about, how this was a past tense word, and this is a perfect past tense word, and this is a, this is a what? A past tense word. Old things, what? Have passed away. The old man has died. Behold, all things have become new. It's a statement of fact. Jesus, God, speaking through Paul, is just making a statement of fact. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Twice he tells us that, that he's committed to us. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation, right? Now then, we are, present tense, ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, Rhema, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Why? For he, that is God the Father, made him, that is God the Son, who knew no sin, we talked about this last week, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That we might become is a process. I am justified, it is positional. But practically, he is what? He's making me more righteous all the time. That's hard to, con to, to comprehend. But he's changing the way I think. And therefore changing the way I what? I act. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, we saw this just a moment ago. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, right? You were bought at a price, but now what's the end part? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are what? Which are God's. You are these things. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, what should you do? Glorify God. And so we then read later on, therefore, whether I what? Eat or drink or whatever I do, I should do all to the glory of God. Why? Because I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's who I am. 
If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit has come and dwelt you and is sealing you to the day of redemption. He is the guarantee of your inheritance. He is living in you. God is in you. I'm not picking on what your, your testimony, so I'm getting ready to say something that has nothing to do with your testimony, okay? Would Jesus sit down and watch the movies that you're going to watch? Or would you invite him to sit down and watch the movie that you're going to watch? Would you invite him to listen to the music that you're getting ready to listen to? Would you invite him to go to the place that you're getting ready to go? Would you be comfortable talking the way you talk if he was there? You know, like using his name in vain and everything. Um, isn't it amazing how, many th how, how people, even though the world, can change the way they talk when they're in your presence? I hated when I was driving a truck when someone would let, let slip that I was a pastor. I didn't want people to know that I was a pastor. I wanted them to be who they were. That way I could have a conversation with them. Because the minute they hear, oh, he's a pastor, what happens? It's exactly, it changed everything. Shut down. They don't want to hear me because I'm getting paid to do this. Clearly, I wasn't getting paid to do it because I was driving a truck. So, I mean, <laughs> duh. Anyways, the same thing when I was doing home improvements. I didn't want somebody to know. Okay? I love when the Jehovah Witness came to my door, the Mormons came to my door, and my home improvement van was out front. Because clearly, he's just a Joe, right? And so I had an opportunity. I could witness them pretty clear without having any this this thing, you know, except for when my neighbors might say something about, well, my pastor lives across the street or whatever, you know, da 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 And it's like, well, that just ruins my cover. Anyways, <laughs> you ought to live, David, it was so exciting to hear, are you a pastor? I mean, I wanted the rest of the story. It's, you know, what were you doing that she actually thought, you know, maybe it was the way you were dressed. My kids tell me I look like a pastor. <laughs> what does a pastor look like? You! I mean, anyway, what? Um, Yes, exactly. But God wants you then, because that's who you are. To what? Glorify Him in your body and in your spirit. We don't have time to unpack all this, but note all the, the things in yellow. These are who Christ is, and this is who you are righteousness, light, Christ, a believer, the temple of God, right? But notice everything that's in gray. It's the total opposite. And so the, 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 the aqua is. It's talking about an agreement, a fellowship, right? And so it says, What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? You are the temple of the living God. Therefore what? Come out from them and be separate. You oughtn't act like the world. You oughtn't be doing the things of the world. Years ago, I remember a woman who loved the Lord, she's a believer, who confessed that she was starting to like hanging around the world more than she liked hanging around people in the church. It's where it plays out. Years before that, a kid that was in my, my youth group, this goes way back, right? He was working at McDonald's. And when he first started working at McDonald's, the music was repugnant to him. But after working there long enough, he found himself starting to do what? singing it, singing along. And he realized the impact of what God's word talks about. The evil communication, evil companionship corrupts good manners. A wise man seeks to hang out with wise people and not with fools. Anyways, you are who you hang out with too. Okay? All right, because of who we shall be. 
1 John 3, this is the passage I was quoting earlier, that we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. If you know that when you die, you're going to be with Jesus, you're going to be with God, and that he is holy, 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 then you're going to have the desire to do what he's declared, to be holy as he is holy. You're going to want to be pure as he is pure. Can I just tell you that with my struggles with lust of the flesh over the years, okay, that this is one of the, the big things for me, okay, that I'm going to be in his presence. This is, I want this now. And you can talk about the, the idols, too, that you're bowing down to, okay, the, 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 the idols that are there. So you guys can go there wherever you want, okay. But this is huge. This is, this is God's desire for you. That he wants you to be on the earth as you shall be there. Philippians 3, um, verse 8, 14 says, Yet indeed I count myself, I count all the things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained or am already perfected. Paul says, look, I haven't made it. I haven't made it or already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehend it, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead, I press toward the goal, the mark, the aim, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I believe, I believe that's sanctification. That that's perfection. That that was Paul's goal. He wanted to know him in the power of the resurrection, the fellowship of the sufferings. He wanted to be like Jesus. He wanted to be set apart as Jesus was set apart. That was his goal. That was his aim. But he recognized, I haven't made it. But this one thing I'm doing, I'm forgetting my failures. I'm forgetting the past. I'm not letting Satan bring me down. And I'm reaching forward. I'm continually pressing on to the mark. I don't know where you're at right now in your spiritual walk. But it can change at this moment. And you can desire to be like Jesus. If you already know him as your Savior, he has set you apart to be set apart. And I'm not going to give you standards of tick, 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 going to look like this. And you can't do, tick, 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 tick. you know, you can't, can't go to the movie theaters. You can't chew bubble gum. And you can't date girls that do that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I'm not going to go there, okay? That's between you and God. But if it's not the burden of your heart, the burden of your heart's got to change. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior who will transform, remember these words, transform, conform, right? Who shall transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working which by he is able to even to subdue all things to himself. How cool is that? He's the one who will do the work. He wants us to be changed. And one day, in our perfected state, it'll happen. Chuck already read 1 Corinthians 15. But the thing is that I want you to recall in this thing is this mortal will put on immortality. This corruptible will put on incorruption. In a moment, in the winkling of an eye, twinkling of an eye, boom, it's changed. 
You may struggle through this world, yearning and struggling, desiring this. One day it's going to become an actuality. That's the work of God. Colossians 1, 21 to 23 says, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, that's positional, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. God's plan for you when he sets you apart is to present you to himself in his presence, holding without blame. That last statement reminds us then of the statement that we talked about, how he holds it from Hebrews chapter 3. That if you hold steadfast your faith to the end, then you're his. You know you have fellowship with him at that moment. But if you walk away and you're choosing other things and you're desiring other things, you ought to question whether you're really his. Because God will hold true to his word. And so those who walk away never were his. Because God wouldn't have allowed it. So in the end, have you received the free gift of salvation offered by God to those who are created in his image and likeness? If not, why? I don't get it. At this stage of my life, I don't get it. I understand 40 years ago the struggles I was having and making that decision. But boom, when you realize everything that what God has done for you, this is a no-brainer moment. In that same light then, are you willing to offer yourself as a living sacrifice to the one who sacrificed himself for you? And if not, why? Why? All I can do is tell you on my end of it, it'll never, ever, ever seem like a sacrifice to you. Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the fact that you have set us apart. We didn't do it. You did it. And that you set us apart for a reason, for a purpose. And that is that we might live set-apart lives on the earth in order that others may even be drawn to you, Lord, and that they might be set apart. Lord, help us to, to glorify your name. Help us to magnify your name. Help us to make you known among the nations. Again, not for our glory, but for yours. Not according to our own righteousness, but according to that which you're working in us. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.